Welcome back to another episode of the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Muggy Battle Alliance Pro, Evan Preparis. Got two guests with me on the line before we get to them. Before we get to them, though, a quick word for this episode's sponsor. This episode's brought to you by Squirrels Nut Butter. Squirrels Nut Butter is an anti-chafing product. If you're at OCRWC or OCR Everest, you probably got a free sample from me. And uh, pick them for this episode because, you know, nothing is scarier than having horrible chafing uh, between your groin or even on your uh, on your chest there. I've had some some chest chafing in the nipples area. Not pleasant. Uh, make sure you pick up some Squirrels Nut Butter. They're awesome. All right, let's get to today's episode. Joining me, I got Bobby Ross, filmmaker. Bobby, hey, what's up? Yeah, Hi, y'all. Good to be back. I'm always looking for an excuse to bring Bobby on because I enjoy talking to you. <laughs> well, I enjoy talking to you too. I look at it. It's been over a year since I've been on this podcast. That is terrible. We've got to fix that sort of thing. Yeah, I, it's hard to squeeze in reasons um, that are uh, <laughs> conducive to the podcast that are logical to bring you on. But I've managed to shoehorn this one in. And I've also got Gary Shaw returning for like the third time this year. Uh, from Leaky Hourglass Ultra and beer drinking uh, fanatic here. Hey, Evan. How's it going? Good. So this episode is the Strength and Speed OCR uh, Treehouse of Horror or OCR Course of Horror episode. So we're going to be talking a lot about horror movies uh, because Halloween's coming up and we're going to loosely tie OCR into it. So there'll be a little bit of OCR talk, but there'll be a lot of horror movie talk. Um, so we'll see how people like this this different format. Um, just with Halloween coming up, and I uh, wanted to wanted to BS with some of my friends who are horror movie fanatics, or and uh, about that. So we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're basically gonna go from person to person. We're gonna talk about a horror franchise, talk about some things that are good about it, some things that are bad about it, chime in as a group, and then kind of rotate to so through. So I'll start off, then jump over to Bobby and then Gary, and we'll get through as many times as we can, covering a couple different franchises. So. I think if you're talking about Halloween and horror movie franchises, the one you have to start off talking about is Halloween, right? So the, uh, you know, Michael Myers, the white William Shatner mask that was modified. Um, And there's been so many of them. And it is, not only is there a lot, but it is probably one of the most confusing series to watch because there are, what is it, Gary, four timelines, five? I think there are... So there are three actual timelines. You have the original timeline, or then the sister timeline, which broke off into H2O, and uh, the one I'm drawing a blank on the name with Busta Rhymes. But yeah. and then you also, you and I were talking about how Halloween 3 had absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the series. Yeah. So I don't know if you're counting that in there, because if you're using that, there are actually like four four lines yeah so there, there's halloween halloween 2 then 4 5 and 6 is a, is a single timeline then there's halloween uh halloween 2 h2o and then like resurrection, resurrection? Think, is a timeline and then there is halloween and then the new one so halloween 2018 or whatever oh and you're right there there is one more because uh if you consider the rob zombie rob remake, zombie's a separate timeline so honestly, Google it, and it, somewhat a bunch of charts will show up, and it'll explain it to you. But super confusing to watch. Um, I also listened to an audiobook available on Audible, uh, where they deep they do a deep dive into every single Halloween movie. This guy like really did his research. It's it's almost overkill because it's like eighteen hours of Halloween stuff. Uh, but the one thing I realized, which and being not from the film industry. Uh, like as a kid, I always thought there's like one person behind all the movies, and it's this cohesive plan, 
and there's this plot. And then, like, listening to the book, I was like, oh, no, this is a disaster. Like, four, five, and six, they end up having a different director, a different producer for each one. The only person that was the same is, like, the guy who, like, owns the rights to the, 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 the property. Um, but they were literally creating story arcs and then – but not having an idea of how the solution – the it was going to finish. They were just like, well, here's a mysterious man in black. And then it's like it's up to the next director to figure out who that was or why that's important. So that's uh, that's a, a huge trope that uh, is used in TV a whole lot too. Like J.J. Abrams did like a TED talk where he called it like the mystery box, right? Like one of the reasons why so many people were disappointed with the ending of Lost. Do you remember Lost? Like mm-hmm. they set up so many different mysteries with only the purpose of getting people to like watch the next episode. And there were, there were just so many going on that they couldn't possibly have wrapped all of them up at the end because what keeps you going is like, <gasps> so you yeah. gotta like dig deeper for a gasp each time until you get to a place where it's like, well, we can't wrap all of these up. And so if you're going in cynically to try and make money off of a movie, the best thing you can do is just to set up a mystery, right? Yeah. And then uh. leave it to somebody else to fix it. Yeah, that's what that's what the Halloween franchise becomes. And then you have John Carpenter, who wrote the original. They essentially like peer pressured him in um, to write the second one. And he was like, like he admits he's like, yeah, I basically got drunk, couldn't think of anything. And then I was like, I don't know. Jamie Lee Curtis is Michael Myers' sister. Fine. <laughs> and then fast forward, fast forward like thirty years, and he's like, that was such a dumb idea. And he literally erased his own movie, which is what. You know the new Halloween trilogy does it start it picks up as a sequel from the uh, 1977 or 1978 version. Yeah, what do you guys think of that? I really liked the first one. The second one, I'm on the fence about. Same, same. But the the third one in the trilogy, and theoretically the conclusion of the Michael Myers saga, comes out I think October 14th. So uh, early early premiere the 13th. Uh, me and some guys from the firehouse are planning on uh, trying to go see that. So, and you're talking about the new films. One of my favorite things about that, and this is going to be really, really dark because a lot of firefighters get killed in that movie. Yeah. Spoiler alert. So Halloween kills the opening scene where it got left off. The house is on fire and Michael Myers is there. So my shift, our uh, shift sticker on our helmets is Michael Myers holding the bloody Halligan. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome you, you that get, is badass feel free to hook up uh, me and bobby with one of those stickers side note i'll here. see what i can do <laughs> yes please so the the one thing i never liked michael myers that much growing up i mean i watched it because it was part of like horror movie kind of culture but the one thing i didn't realize is how much ahead of its time was so it was you know late 70s and at the time there was not like the stereotypical guy in jumpsuit walking around killing people that we got with like Jason and some of the other kind of spinoffs. So it was really like a lot more revolutionary uh, when you look back at it, at it in history. And I didn't quite realize how much earlier that was uh, compared to some of the other horror movies I grew up watching in the 80s and 90s. So just my two cents there. Yeah. I mean, like the greatest thing about Michael Myers is that like, as far as like all of the identityless sort of heroes, like the ones that can become like legends, like Jason or Freddy or whatever, I feel like Michael Myers is the one that still has the ability, at least for me, to make me interested again. Mm. Like the mystery of who he is and why he does what he does 
has never been in any way satisfactorily told in any of these movies, which is what I really liked. Like, I mean, they just like exposited the heck out of Jason and Freddie. Like, we know too much about him, I feel like. But Michael, uh-huh. like, because of all the different timelines, is still kind of a mystery. Like, I don't know, like, who, who really is this guy? So we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But I, if I'm investing in multiple movies, I eventually want some answers. And uh, my, one of my complaints about Halloween is they just keep like, no, nah, no, nah, ignore those last three. This is new, new timeline, new timeline. You can't, yeah, like, you can't, they, they've overused their mulligans. I agree. For Halloween. I agree. <laughs> I feel that. All right, let's jump into a new movie series. Bobby, uh, you pick the topic. Okay, I want to talk about Hellraiser because yes. I just watched the new Hellraiser last night. Me too. And I, I am super into Hellraiser. Like, I, I think, well, at least the first few anyway, because it, if we talk about, like, the time that the original Hellraiser came out, this was at, like, the height of, like, this was peak slasher film. And then you this strange first-time director. Yeah, dude, that was the year I was born. It was like a... You know, what, what we were used to was a bunch of guys in masks going into, you know, slumber parties and, uh, you know, like having a good old fashioned massacre. But then here was Clive Barker, a first time director, by the way, uh, deciding that he was going to he'd already had a couple of his movies like made into or a couple of his scripts rather made into some kind of terrible movies before. Uh, but then he decided he wanted to like give a go at you know directing like one of his short stories, and so he took it. He made a screenplay out of it, and we get Hellraiser, which is this just crazy, weird, out of left field sort of uh, psychosexual thriller with like ten minutes of these Cenobite creatures, and it's such a strange thing to watch. Just it's full of really groundbreaking VFX, like. Attic guy, I don't want to spoil anything, but like there's some amazing <laughs> 1987, yeah, dude. It still holds up to me, it does because... hold up. It's and it's practical effects, which is what, yes, I it, to me, it's just better. Like, I, I we can do all the CGI, but when I know for a fact it's happening, the practical effects in Hellraiser are still amazing, in my opinion. Yes, now there's some stuff that doesn't hold up in Hellraiser, yeah, right? true. It's obviously the light, like the lightning, the lightning, yeah, the all the drawn lightning. The uh, the uh, creature that you can see the the guy behind him like in towards the end in that hallway. The engineer yeah. is are we talking from the second one? No, the first one. Okay. The hallway thing that looks kind of like a like a gecko upside down. And it has yeah. Like okay. A, okay. Yeah. yeah the engineer. jump scare right towards the end. Yes. So that that was that was pretty rough. But it was just, it was so different, and what it lacked in, you know, like, overall kills, it totally made up for in just being, like, out there. So the, but uh, I, I wanted, real quick, I forgot to tie it into OCR. So, uh, <laughs> how, so I was watching, um, not a horror thing, it was a self-defense thing, and they were arguing that the best thing, the best, like, the most realistic self-defense would, um, if you combined, essentially, boxing, so punching people, um you know and training like that and parkour so my question for gary is and i we have a biased probably group here but what's the best athlete for surviving an encounter with michael myers or someone like that like jason i'm gonna say yeah like you know endurance runner like parkour like pretty much endurance ocr athlete like i have a buddy that told me this story one time like 
and it just really made sense. He always joked around and said he just wanted to be able to do one muscle up. That's all you ever need to do. He said he'd watched so many horror films and life or death comes down <laughs> to be able to muscle up yeah. onto a building. And I'm like, oh my God, that makes perfect sense. So yes, uh, obviously I agree. I think OCR is, so I think parkour is better because it it's r- realistic environments, but the uh, problem with parkour guys is they have, they're not endurance. So they, you know, if you, they have to run a hundred meters and that's it. And then they reset, right? Not even. Uh, versus an OCR person can climb over walls, they crawl under things, they're used to using their hands. I think uh, an OCR athlete is like the prime athlete you want to be if you were trying to run away from Michael Myers, Jason, et cetera. You know, and you're used to running on trails. So like Michael Myers, mm-hmm. I, Jason typically attacks in the woods. So to me, that that makes a lot more sense. All Wait, right. Here's, here's a question. Can, can Jason or Michael Myers run at all? They can. I mean, No. I they I don't think canonically they have run on screen. Uh, they just walk fast, and everyone else is very uh, trips and uh, <laughs> or they throw something or they get caught on a fence in one of the latest Halloweens, right? It's uh, always very uh, Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail. Yeah, storming the castle. It's okay. Michael Myers is way back or. Uh, Jason's way back. <laughs> you see the victim, and then you see him again. They're way back, and then just boom! All of a sudden, out of nowhere, they're there, <laughs> like Lancelot at the castle. I assume he's running very fast when he's not on screen. That's what I assume. <laughs> <laughs> he's just got not a lot of endurance, so you always they always pan back to him, and he's walking. <laughs> All right, so back back over to Hellraiser. You know, one of my favorite things about Hellraiser. Um, so if you're not familiar, right, there's a box, uh, and then they essentially open it and then essentially these demons come, uh, from hell and then they, they take the person, um, who opened the box. And essentially what I really liked is, especially in the first couple of Hellraisers, like the first and second one, they're not the demon. I mean, the demons are bad, right? But they're responding to human desire. So the humans are asking for, you know, unforeseen pleasures and these these demons show up and they're like, oh, you asked for pleasures. I got some pleasures for you. It's, it's going to be like nothing you've ever experienced. And they then they torture the person. And there's one scene in the second one where they they come like a girl actually like a, essentially an innocent girl accidentally opens the box and they show up and they're like, no, nah, she's she didn't know what she was asking for. And they leave her alone, which I always thought was a cool take on a monster uh, versus someone just indiscriminately killing. Yeah, there's this sort of like thing in Hellraiser about sort of the limits of like the human experience. There's this sort of uh, kind of idea that if you follow pleasure long enough, eventually that pleasure will not be enough and you'll have to move on to something higher and more extreme. Like endurance OCR. (laughs) Kind of of like that. And that's where I'm going with this. It's like uh, there's a certain amount of pain inherent in reaching the next level. Uh, and that those extremes are just like heightened, obviously, like Hellraiser is about the extremes of, of pain, uh, but as an extension of a person's searching for and striving for greater pleasure, like like hedonistic pleasure, uh, which is something that uh, not, not, not like a, in the weird way that Hellraiser does it, but like it's something that has to do a lot with endurance, right? Like yeah. The reason why we do it, even though it hurts and even though like in the moment it could be terrible, is that the feeling of the finish line is, is better than anything else. And you have to go through the pain to get there. 
Yeah. So I, I want to talk about the new one. Um, obviously, we're not going to give any trick try to avoid some spoilers so one of the funny things was i watched it with my wife she actually agreed to watch it um she's never seen any <laughs> of the other hellraisers so she was like she was like is is pinhead supposed to have more screen time and i was like oh no actually this is more than normal um yeah it was a lot more than normal uh if you're not tracking pinhead in the movies is a male and when they cast this new hellraiser it is a male to female trans Right. So um, I think when they announced it, a lot of people were like, oh, well, this is like woke America, blah, blah, blah. And so but if you go back to the source material, the Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker, uh, the character of Pinhead was actually they, they couldn't tell the gender. They said it was androgynous with female characteristics. So it actually um, was actually truer to the source material. Kind of a, on an interesting side note. Uh, but so we were, we're watching it and there's one scene when they when they first go into like this warehouse. And I don't know if you noticed, the male actor goes over the fence like he's an OCR athlete. Like he he pivots at the hips, puts his hand on the far side of the fence, and swings his leg over. And I was like, dude, dude's an OCR athlete. <laughs> Which I thought <laughs> was just really the wall. I just thought it was really funny that uh, like because normal people don't go over a wall like that or a fence. It's just a very interesting way. So um, you were way over analyzing this. <laughs> <laughs> that's great though but because it's like once you said that like i can i can replay that scene in my head and i'm like yeah he totally did that like yeah i because I, you don't see that in movies i just that's why it stood out to me i was like that was a really weird way to go over a fence um, um and as an ocr person that's what i look at so what did you think of the new one good bad uh gary you start off uh you and i already kind of talked about this a little bit like it, I didn't like it as much as the original, and uh, I actually, like I said, I thought the visual effects, like from where we've come since 1987, I thought we had come further than that on the visual effects. Like I honestly, but like the drawn-in lightning aside, uh, I really thought the like the blood and everything and the Cenobites were scarier and better done in the original film. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I thought it was kind of, as far as the like antagonists, I thought they were kind of dumbed down compared to the original. Like, I thought, you know, maybe... tame. Really? Yeah, and I think part of that could be, you know, watching it, you know, it came out in 87. I probably saw it whenever I was like 10, so I was probably like watching it in like 94 or something so maybe it was because it was scarier then but actually a week before it came out um i re-watched the original or a week before the new one came out i re-watched the original so and then you know i just the other day the day that it came out we watched it at the firehouse and yeah i thought it was just kind of the story was good and with them swapping like because they didn't just swap the antagonist they uh swap the gender of the protagonist as well to an extent uh because you know without spoiling things for the new one or even the old one just how they built it up focusing on the female more and how they like revised kind of frank's character mm. with the uh like oh the entrepreneur and everything um, yeah 
like I said, it was good. I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna trash it, but I liked the original better. Yeah, Bobby? I think the original felt way more uh, more original, whereas this one just like every beat is like a Blumhouse like horror film beat. It's like you could like probably go minute by minute and it looks like just like every other sort of horror film script of the past 20 years. Mm. It's like basically like you shoehorn like these awesome Cinnabites into what is basically just every other horror movie script, which it just felt a little as like, oh, I, I felt like we we could have taken a few more chances with this. Instead, what we get is like, all right, we frame up our protagonists like like we hit the beat where they're like, oh, well, there must be somebody who knows. And so we go somewhere and we meet somebody mm-hmm. who tells us about it. And then like, then we go back to like the mansion and meet the the real like antagonist. And then like without spoiling anything, it's like pretty much every one of these beats is like we, we've seen this before in a James Wan movie, you know, which is not necessarily bad. If you're just in it for a good time, then cool, you got it. But if you were looking for something that was as like groundbreaking as the original Hellraiser, this ain't it. Gotcha. So the I was I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Um, my, I'll, I'll caveat this with the Hellraiser movies have been getting progressively worse. Oh boy, nine is, the nine before this. This is I think there's ten total, and this is eleven. Eleven um, now. So, oh, I was wrong. So, so technically, I mean, you can call this a remake, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. It can you can plop this into the to- the timeline of all the other ones, and it doesn't change anything. Um, what's interesting about the the comics um, and the book uh, adaptation? So the so essentially, Pinhead's nails is is essentially a the equivalent of like a crown. So in the uh, in the comics, they actually transfer uh, like when there's a new Hell Priest the nails go into someone else's head. So theoretically it can be oh. it can be it can be part of the same timeline and there's actually no problems there. And then also so in the comics So the female version is simply a successor. Successor, yeah. So it, it fits okay. in fine. And then on top of that, the uh the comics also have multiple um so in the movies we we see the same Hellraiser box. Um the one in this one is kind of like a redesigned. It looks very similar but it's slightly different. Uh in the comics they have uh sometimes they have puzzle boxes, sometimes they have uh, merry-go-round sometimes they have uh, there's a there's a short story that has a pokemon card like the pokemon card from hell it's basically like <laughs> uh it's different things that can kind of open that pathway um and what i really like about the comics is it actually like it actually ties fairly well as ridiculous as it sounds into like actual you know christian canon um and the book uh if anyone wants a really good book it's on audible it's called the scarlet gospels it is the sequel uh, to Hellraiser, which is uh, the book version is called The Hellbound Heart. And essentially, the Scarlet Gospels is Pinhead as Hell Priest trying to overthrow Satan, who's obviously in charge of all hell. So, like, the um, the portion of hell that the Cenobites come from that we see in the movies is essentially, like, uh, one of the seven areas of hell. Sorry, so the seven deadly sins. And the uh, the area they cover is, uh, what is it, uh, lust, essentially. Um, so there's like other portions of hell that cover other, uh, you know, you know, of the seven deadly sins. So it's, it's really, yeah, I, I can't recommend the comics enough. It's seriously one of the best comics I've ever read. And there's some really shocking moments. And actually in this scene with the, the guy who has all the collection of like uh, occult artifacts, there's a knife that looks like one of the knives from the comic. I don't know if it was purposeful or not, but it, it does. And it's in the background. So I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, uh, you caught one of the Easter eggs, my man. 
Yeah, I mean, it could it, it could just be random, but um, I don't know. The I, I I thought the Cenobites designs were cool. So the if you've watched the originals, they wear a lot of black leather, and I think largely that is because um, one tie back to the S and M kind of characteristics, but two, I think it's a budget thing, right? Like I can't put hooks all over. I can't do all the the effects all over this dude's body, so they just do the face mm. basically. And in this one, I think it's probably closer to what Clive Barker originally had in mind, where some of the Cenobites essentially have these like very elaborate things where their skin's being pulled and torn apart. Um, I thought there were some pretty awesome designs in there. Like there yeah. was some cool stuff. It reminded me of uh, there was a there was a, a toy line called uh, Tortured Souls by Clive Barker and uh, Todd McFarlane, and uh, it the reminded me did, uh, Spawn, right? Yeah, yeah. So they when uh, McFarlane Spawn was coming out, by the way, too. Is there really? Yeah, uh, Jamie yeah, Fox uh, has been cast. Yeah, yeah, Jamie Foxx. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, the original version had uh, Michael Jai White. Yeah, oh, boy, really? that was happened. That? <laughs> yeah, John Leguizamo and uh, what's Charlie Sheen's father? Martin Sheen. Yeah. It was, uh, boy, that movie was something. That was before comic book movies got good. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Great soundtrack, though. All right. Any final yeah. thoughts on Hellraiser people wanted to share? I think it is the best horror movie reboot of the past 20 years. Oh. Um, and even, and I, I would say it's 6.5, 7 out of 10. Okay. I think, it's, I think it is a more interesting reboot than the new Halloween trilogy, even though I enjoy those immensely. I think this one did some cool things, and there's just a cool factor to the Cenobites that I just think it's just like, these are just real movie monsters, and I was happy to see them back. Yeah. Cool. I can can talk about Hellraiser for the entire episode, but we won't. Uh, In the interest of moving on in time, we're going to jump to a different topic. Gary, what do you got for us? Okay, so first, real quick, I'm just going to jump back on that, and I'm going to ask you guys, who's your favorite Cenobite? I'm going to go with Chatterbox. Absolutely. Same. Same. That scared me. I I saw those teeth my entire young life. So, so ch- chat is, uh, the chatterbox or chatterer is essentially has his mouth being pulled open and he doesn't talk. His teeth just kind of rattle back and forth. Um, so uh, the original we're talking, right? Are we talking that you're talking the new one? Uh, the original so, was more interesting. Yeah, the original was more interesting. Like I said, that's my thought on every Cenobite. Yeah, but uh, yeah, even with Chatterbox, but I thought they did an okay job with Chatterbox in this one. Um, but yeah, so I'm gonna roll into uh, you know, kind of it's not one of the uh, like what I call like the big four. Um, it's kind of out there because like I consider like the big four. You know, you've got Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Hellraiser. That's, in my opinion, that, that those are the big four of horror. So I don't think Hellraiser's in there, although it is one of my favorites. But go ahead. I would agree with the other ones, though. Uh, so, Phantasm. Oh, so, yeah! So, Phantasm, um, for, like, one of the things, like, seeing it as a kid is, like, the main antagonist wasn't... You know, this gory monster, just not really slasher film. I just remember growing up and seeing that character in the movie and even just walking through the, you know, I'm going to 
date myself here and say going through the like blockbuster uh the box for phantasm and seeing angus scrim the guy who played like his character simply referred to as the tall man he was just so scary and there wasn't really much of a gimmick to him he was i was thinking about how to describe this earlier today and the best way i can put it is a murderous disappointed father <laughs> like yeah. i'm not mad at you i'm just disappointed because no one liked to hear those words growing up he was just disappointed but then you you know you add a murderous streak to that and he was just the scariest guy to me growing up. So that This one's not a common one, so uh, I'll give you the audience a little bit of explanation because I just literally watched them and then listened to an audiobook by the same guy who did the Halloween deep dive that covers the Phantasm movies. But so essentially the tall man is a um, undertaker, and he is like an interdimensional undertaker, and he takes people – and can crushes them into dwarves, and then he has this army of dwarves, and they've got these metal spheres that stick to your head, and they drill and shoots blood everywhere. And the, um, <laughs> you know, I was talking about how Halloween has all these different directors and producers. The Phantasm movies seem like they have different, but it's actually of the same group working on every one, which was very surprising because they seem uh, kind of disjointed. And if you're looking for answers, the frustrating thing about phantasm is they don't give you a lot of answers they give you a lot of questions so there are several points in the movie where you're like all right well now they're going to explain what's happening and then you watch the next movie and like it does, it only asks more questions and they've made five of them the first one was in was it 77 and uh, 79 79 okay and the last one was i think 2016 so they th that's a crazy story in itself how they came out with five but there was there's like a um, there's like a 30, 30 year gap. It spans like four decades, um, between or more than that. Right. Uh, it, it, like the, the first movie, the first movies in the seventies and the last movies in the 2010s. So yeah, it spans a long time and they actually got the original cast, um, you know, before, before star Wars was bringing people back before, um, you know, all these other like Cobra Kai reboots and stuff like that. Phantasm brought their, their cast back for Phantasm five. One of the cool things I thought about Phantasm was how they didn't fall into the normal trope. Like, yeah, there was there was completely like what's the word gratuitous nudity in there, and like with the females, but they didn't fall into that typical trope of having these like pretty boy antagonists. Like, I mean, one of the main guys. Uh, Reggie, Reggie Bannister. Yeah, that like you do not look at that guy and think like, oh, he's going to be the backbone of <laughs> a fur series. So Reggie Bannister, one of the antagonists, like balding guy with a you know one of those nothing on top and then a ponytail haircuts, kind of almost there is. Looks like my looks like my eighth grade chemistry teacher. <laughs> Yeah, like everybody has one of those. Like everybody knows this guy, and it just kind of like that was one of the cool things I thought about it is he was kind of a Joe everybody. Like 
watching that, you know, because as a kid, you watch these movies and stuff, and you're like, oh, man, I want to be the hero. And you're like, you see all those, you know, big buff guys and whatnot and think, oh, man, that's unattainable. And then you see Reggie Bannister, and you're like, well, I could do that. <laughs> Bobby, have you seen the fifth one? I have not seen the fifth one. I didn't even know that it existed. I am ashamed of myself. So what's crazy about the fifth one, and I think you'll appreciate this, is it started as a web series, and they shot like 40 minutes of web series in like when uh, Angus Scrim, the tall man, was still alive. And then at some point, they're like, all right, well, let's turn this into a movie, but it's already half done. So they give it to they they get hire this director and it's like here's half your movie make forty five more minutes of of footage so he's got this like Whoa. half half finished movie you know and so he's got to like shoehorn this web series into this full length movie Anger Scrim dies uh in the middle essentially um he shot a couple scenes but was sick and uh, eventually dies and um yeah it's but honestly I think the fifth one's the in my opinion the best one uh, besides the first one obviously um but it's you know, you end the movie and you're like, is it a dream or is it a dementia or is this all in someone's head or is this actually happening? And it gives you, uh, as the viewer, it gives you a lot of options to kind of choose your own adventure, which can be frustrating, uh, but it's also kind of cool. So That's awesome. Fantastic. Man, I'm so glad you bring that up. I haven't seen those in years. So I, I remember I watched the first three or four when they were, you know, obviously when in the 80s, 90s, and I was like, I was very upset. <laughs> um, rewatching them, it was kind of like watching the X Files, where like you're like, all right, there's more questions, there's more questions, and at least with the fifth one, you get some answers. It's not a lot of answers, but um, I enjoyed it a lot more this time. And I enjoyed, you know, after being involved and in, you know working with you, Bobby, and like seeing some of the fun of filmmaking. It seemed like the cast of that, it, you know, they're like old family at this point and they uh they get together once every like decade to shoot a fun horror movie together which i, I can just i can just see that as like a really fun thing to do uh even if you're not banking in the money there yeah dude horror movies are the most fun to make because nobody takes themselves very seriously when you're doing something like that <laughs> so tell like me what so tell me real quick about um like how shooting a horror movie i know because you you shot a couple of shorts and then feel free to plug them. I like how that differs from shooting like a obstacle course race event. Yeah, well, actually, this past weekend, uh, we just wrapped principal photography on what is many times, like definitely my biggest short yet. Uh, I was the director of photography and I'll edit it as well. And so we shot basically a huge difference in horror based on a lot of other movies is that the budgets are typically very, very low because they have, you know, like they can make money with very little. And so we shot, uh, it was a little over 20 minute film, I think is what it's going to end up at. And we shot in three days, uh, three 16 hour days. And uh, it's just kind of like, you just like hit the ground running and you move as fast as you can, which in that way is very similar to OCR. But the, the biggest difference really is that like what's happening at a race is something that's happening one time, you don't get another chance at it. You just have to be in the right place at the right time. and pointing the camera in the right direction. Whereas, you know, when you get to decide how you want things to be, it could take a lot longer to, to put it all together. So I, I really enjoy shooting OCR for that reason, because when it's something that, you know, the, those magic moments are happening, when somebody does something that's just really awesome and you were there for it, you don't get to, you know, you don't 
remake that. You don't just say, hey, would you go do that again? Well, I mean, sometimes you, you can, but not when there's a race. <laughs> <laughs> if you're doing a charity event and Evan is your subject, yeah, sometimes you make me do the obstacle more than once. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With very OCR Everest, we were going across the rings at uh, Tough Mudder, and when I, you made me go across like six times or something, and at towards the end, I was like, I don't know if I can do this again. I was like, <laughs> I was laughing because my grip started going because I'd done it Essentially, like, finished, all right, back to the start, finished, back to the start, but, you know, it's pretty funny. <laughs> hey, we needed, a, we needed a really good one there. Yeah. At least it wasn't Stairway 3.0. That's true. That's true. Side note, we were right about the, kind of, the Stairway 3.0. We were pretty close on the, on the, oh, yeah, OCRDBC podcast. Um, we're going to swing it back over to Bobby for the next movie suggestion. Y'all, Nightmare on Elm Street has to be talked about if we're doing a uh, classic horror franchise conversation, right? Right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Freddy is so bad he's good. Like, this guy is having he's such campy, a good but time. Yeah. It's campy. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and the, the absolute best Nightmare on Elm Street is the second one. Oh no! Oh my goodness! I I watched this literally. I fit like the end credits were rolling whenever uh, Evan called. This the second one. If how do I describe this? Um, people have never seen it. There, you know, like the a lot of people make jokes about Top Guns, like underlying subtle themes. The people Point Break is another one. Point Break is another yep. one. The themes in Nightmare on Elm Street 2 are so strong. You're like, I remember we were watching it as uh, we were like late teens or early 20s, and we were like, what are we watching? The, uh, it is, they, they made a documentary about the, like, the lead character of it. Um, I think it's called like Scream Queen or something. That should, that should give you kind of an idea of what, the, <laughs> what some of the themes <laughs> in, in Friday, I mean, in Nightmare on Elm Street 2 are. Um, the first one, though, I think is one of the best horror movies ever made, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. It. And it has my two favorite deaths in any horror movie, period. You just uh, say Johnny Depp? Yeah, Johnny Depp, the blood geyser. In, in oh, the yeah. And the one just where... Just groundbreaking. The one where the female gets uh, dragged across the wall, up the wall and across the ceiling. while she, And the boyfriend's awake, but she's still asleep. And she's like mm-hmm. being, being torn apart. Yeah. So. Yes, dude. Again, spoilers for movies from the 80s. Sorry. Hey, I think in the, the beginning of the second one, there's a, I mean, like the boyfriend is watching uh, where she's like, kind of like, you know, kind of dragged around the ceiling. They do it again, but I, I think they did a really great job there at like iterating on that, even though it was kind of disappointing that they basically used the same effect twice. But the third and fourth one are two, all, all like, I love the first one and I love the third and fourth one. Fifth one's okay. Third and fourth one has the, the dream master and dream team one concept. Yeah, dream, dream warriors was part three and dream, dream masters was four dream child was five. And then it was, uh, Freddy's, Freddy's dead, dead, the final nightmare. Yeah. And, and then, then the new nightmare it went, Oh yeah. Then they went off Canon and did uh Wes Craven's new nightmare. I think that's underrated. My opinion. It, I mean, it doesn't fit in with the, the rest of them, but it's uh, I thought it was a, unique twist for a I thought that was probably my favorite um oh my gosh I'm drawing a blank on his name right now the gentleman that played uh uh Robert England Robert England England. uh that was in my opinion his best performance in 
any movie I've seen him in was his performance in a uh, new nightmare. Yeah, whenever, yeah. He was, whenever he was having the nightmares and like making the pictures and stuff, how threatened and bothered he looked because you always, you always saw Robert England as Kruger being this, you know, entity of evil and seeing him as a person and like, the concern and worry that he had in that film whenever he was talking to uh um heather langenkamp yeah like it really like it was a really good performance by him and i do i think that movie is like grossly underrated so if you've never seen new nightmare essentially the premise is that the movie it's a movie within a movie right so the movies are all movies and they're they're focusing on the actors who are now in this movie that you're watching so they're like, yeah, Freddy Krueger's a movie character. He's not real. And then essentially weird things start happening. Um, so that's why it's called The New Nightmare. And it's got a, you know, for instead of Freddy having the normal glove, he has this like bone muscle glove. It's kind of, it's kind of like an extension of his hand. It's pretty interesting. It was a nice. Yeah. And instead of wearing like the, nor- he still wears the shirt and the normal pants, but he's got like this trench coat and this hat. It's going to give him like a slightly different look. It was pretty cool. I liked it. It was also a much darker feeling movie like yeah. it didn't quite have that same like like the original films or the 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 preceding films rather were a lot more kind of tongue-in-cheek they got really uh, tongue-in-cheek in the later ones yeah they got really tongue-in-cheek so but new nightmare was dark Super, yeah i really liked it <laughs> i agree yeah freddy's always been one of my favorites and i think the from a like a a monster perspective i think he's just really good because like everyone has to sleep right you can't you can't not go to sleep and everyone's had a bad dream before. Right. So I think it really plays on like a real fear of people. And I think that's something unique. Um, yeah. I'm sure I'm going you- to say something that could be, um, I'd love to hear what your guys take on this is, but I think that the, the nightmare on Elm street reboot was such garbage that it was almost impossible to watch. Oof. Um, it was okay. Uh, I, I just have a really strong, you know, I, Robert England is Freddie to me, so seeing someone else in the role was just kind of like, eh. Um, the one thing I thought they did do good about it, right? So in the original, it's never implied, it's never said that he like molests children, but it does say like he abducts children, and then you can put, you can start putting pieces together if you want. Um, in the uh, in the the one thing I liked about the the newer one is they implied there was a portion of the movie where they're like, no, he's um, he's essentially wrongfully accused or something. So you start having like empathy for him, and then that kind of mm. again spoiler. They, they pulled the rug back out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I like that, and I thought because uh, James, James Haley or something like that. Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah, Jackie Earl Haley. I thought you know he wasn't Robert England, but I think I thought he still did a good job. If it would have been one of those, and I can say this about a lot of like reboots and stuff, um, if I had never seen, uh the originals i would have really thought he did a good job but yeah, i, I went into it already fixated on the fact that robert england is kruger so it kind of you know i went in there with a little bit of distaste for haley to begin with but like i said if if i wouldn't have seen those movies prior he actually i think he did a good job yeah i see my my problem is not haley i think that like that was a really good start for a new like sort of like series with him 
However, the writing, the horror movie logic was just so bad. Everybody made all the worst decisions in that movie. Like it was like top tier 2010s, don't go in the attic, go outside kind of thinking. It was yeah. so much of that that I was just like, ah, like I didn't care anything about these kids. I was just like, man, I wish there were twice as many so Freddie could just end all of the, their bloodlines so hopefully their children <laughs> would make better decisions. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't, I watched it once and I don't really remember much of it. Um, I remember being like, okay, that was okay. But, you know, nothing, nothing I'm going to start watching on a repeated basis. So. Hmm. All right. Uh, any, any, any other final thoughts, Gary, any sort of uh, sleep deprivation stories you've got from some of your ultras? Oh man. <laughs> I've seen some weird things um, like sleep deprivation. That is, you know, uh, you can't escape that. So I do think that plays into the whole like, like inherent fear of like, you know, the Kruger like uh, villain is like, you can't escape sleep. Like it's not if it's when. Right. Cause yeah, like during the ultras, like I've, I don't know how many times like I've had, pacers like tell me after the race that I was just talking about things that I have no recollection of <laughs> like walking off the trail and them having to correct me seeing things that weren't there I think my favorite hallucination was an anthropomorphic white rabbit in a red letterman <laughs> in a red letterman's jacket smoking a cigarette he mm. didn't say anything to me but as I was walking past him, he just kind of gave me that good old boy head nod and took a drag <laughs> off of his cigarette. And like I I could pass a lie detector test, like saying that like that really happened. Like it was so real. But I think that's probably the best one that I've had. Gotcha. So for anyone getting ready for World Toughest, sleep a lot the two weeks beforehand. That's the, probably the best advice you can you can do because you're not going to gain a lot of fitness those last two weeks. You actually won't get any. You need to recover and rest. And if you're if you're sleep if you're hallucinating on a 24 hour race, uh, you're not sleeping enough the week the week prior. I'll say that. Yeah, two weeks out the haze in the barn. Yeah. Take so care just, of yourself. Yeah, just sleep a lot. And I mean, obviously you'll still be tired, but uh, you shouldn't be hallucinating for a 24 hour unless you're chronically sleep deprived from work. All right, Gary, let's jump over to you for another movie topic. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I don't want to say digging the bottom of the barrel because this is one of my favorite horror movies ever. It's just not as widely known, but the people that know it love it. It's a cult classic, um, Sleepaway Camp. Oh, goodness. Yes. <laughs> the height oh, of goodness. Like, I've, said that, I've said this before. This was like an M. Night, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, like M. Night Shyamalan like his type of movie, like before he was ever around, uh, I think it was 83 was when that was released. Um, and it had one of the best twist endings. Oh my goodness. Of any movie ever. And it was really like one of the first movies that I ever remember having any kind of a twist. ending. Yeah, same. And it was the ending of the first one was emotionally scarring. <laughs> <laughs> for a bunch of me and my my teenage my friend also a teenage boy 
Uh, I don't want to give away the controversial. I don't want to give away the ending, but it was emotionally scarring. And we were like, I don't think I want to watch the second one. (laughs) I'll just say that. (laughs) Yeah. So when there were, there were three more. Uh, Yeah. We watched all three eventually, but uh, it's not happy about it. Three or four more, I think. Some of my love for endurance and completing things, I think, comes from watching horror movies. Where I'll, when I start a horror movie series, like I'm watching all of them. It doesn't matter how bad they get. Like I'm in it for the end. Um, so I think I get some of my perseverance from endurance racing from that. <laughs> <laughs> but this is one of those that, like, you know, you can't really talk too much about because, like, I really this is one of those movies that I don't want to ruin for anybody. Oh yeah. So yeah. you can't really talk about it too much. Just it's got a, it's got an ending, and like the the kills in it, were, the kills are so great. Yeah, like it was very very innovative at the time for kills. I mean, because you know, some of the especially like because I'm big like I mean I love horror films. Obviously, we all do. We're sitting here talking about them, but you know, everybody kind of has their like little subgenre of horror like i've got friends that don't like slasher films and like that's that's my gig generally is i love like the old 80s b like slasher films um is like my bread and butter and then i've got friends that you know they like the like psychological thrillers and like the um oh i don't know really what the paranormal kind of stuff i've got a bunch of buddies like that and i'm not really into the like paranormal stuff as much i like the slashers but i can still appreciate those as well but like a lot of those slasher movies like you can pretty much count on like somebody dying a certain way like somebody's going to get their head bashed in with like a claw hammer or there's going to be a couple you know uh being intimate and getting double harpooned with like (laughs) or some kind of spear like, but at the time, like the kills for, and there was one that I'm not going to go into, but it was in your head. It's very graphic, but it's never shown on scene. You simply see a shadow and you can tell what's going on. Mm. And it's, it's rough. Yeah, it is. It makes uh, the kills in the Friday the 13th movies look, which were its contemporaries look just tame in comparison (laughs) i don't have a good all all i remember is the ending of the first one i can't tell you anything else uh about the other sleepaway camps i don't remember much about them it's just that ending of the first one is seared into my brain um (laughs) it's just seared in there (laughs) oh man i you know i have the the intellectual property for me has to start in the 80s or 90s or maybe late 70s um for me to be interested just because i think that's when i was really into horror movies um, so that's, you know, if it started in the 70, late 70s or 80s or 90s, then I'm interested in it. If it started in 2000 and beyond, you know, we've got, I've got no interest. It's just, uh, I don't know. And I feel like horror movie goes through phases where there was like, you know, there was like the giant monsters with King Kong, Godzilla. Then it went into like, you know, the universal monsters, Dracula, Frankenstein, Mummy. And then it eventually turns into the slashers. And then we had a period where it was like zombies. And then there was a period where it was like spooky ghosts type things like the mm. ring and stuff like that and uh i feel like it goes through these phases where you find one formula for success and every other company's like well let's copy that and we can 
we can make a little bit of money uh, before this interest dies out. Well, that's not just even horror movies. I mean, the same could be like, remember whenever Armageddon came out, like how many end of the world movies came out after that? Like, what was it, Deep Impact? And then you had uh, like, I can't remember the exact order of this, but like uh, Dante's Inferno. Oh yeah, this volcano. Yeah. Through like 2012. 2012, yeah. The tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, or day something. After tomorrow. Yeah. Random useless fact: the proper name for the day after tomorrow is called Overmorrow. Oh, interesting. Oh, I like that. I'm gonna start using it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I'm gonna jump into what started. Um, this is not really a franchise. It's a single movie. What The reason Gary's on the podcast is because I was showing a movie to my daughter. Um, and Gary started chiming in, shooting me messages. And I was like, oh, well, Gary knows a lot about horror movies. So I need to bring him on this podcast, me and Bobby. So I watched with my daughter Monster Squad. Yes. <laughs> Bo- Bobby, have you seen Monster Squad? No. Oh, my goodness. So it's the Goonies, but they're fighting the Universal Monsters, essentially. That sounds it, great. It is. I based my childhood on this movie. This is like, like I had me and my friends were like the monster, have like a monster club. And uh, did you have the little business cards? I I want to say at some point I probably made it on my Apple TV. <laughs> uh, I can't really remember. I remember buying. Oh, pins. I love that movie so much. So so I'm watching it with my daughter. I'm like, this is a good movie. It's like the Goonies, and the movie starts off. And they <laughs> let me let me just put it this way. In the first 10 minutes of the movie, they would cancel this movie in 2022. The main <laughs> characters are, are saying jokes, and I'm like, I can't have them say these, these words in front of my daughter. You know, and then there's this whole plot line at my mother's seven. There's this whole plot line about being a virgin, and they're like arguing, and my, my daughter's asking me what it is, and I was like, it's when you're, it means you have, you've been married. If, if you're not a virgin, it means you, you've been married before, basically. She's like, oh, the teenage girl was married? And I was like, yes, absolutely, she was married before. <laughs> But it is it is such a classic movie, and the the most classic line of all, Gary. Uh, so there are several that you could put in here, um, but I'm thinking you're either gonna go with uh, "Give me the amulet, you bitch." Oh yeah, there was also that line, which I was like, <laughs> oh, again, my seven year old doesn't need to hear that. Uh, okay, so the other the oh, so there's two Wolfman's actually. Got, you're gonna you're Wolfman's got Nards. Wolfman's got Nards. Yeah, <laughs> they that's, kick Wolfman. Yeah, that's and the more age appropriate. Yeah. Of, the ones, yes. Classic, absolute classic. Uh, and and the there's other one, actually a documentary called Wolfman's Got Narts, if you haven't seen that. Ever. I have not, but I saw. I found out about it after watching the movie, so I'm going to put it on my, my movie list. Yeah, yeah. So good. And, like, literally that, that club format is, like, again, I based my childhood on that. I mean, I, like, I was kind of involved in clubs in, in college, and now, like, Strength and Speed is my, it's the modern-day equivalent of uh, what, what my monster club turned into, so. Here we are. I can't believe Bobby hasn't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like I was, I was, uh, I probably thought I don't want to watch a kid's movie. I want to watch something scary. Yeah. If 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 you were if you you're a couple years younger than us, but not much. But I think you're probably just out of the age range, right? Like you probably narrowly missed it. Yeah. So, so it was it was eighty seven. Uh, that was the year I was born. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we got a little we got a little bit more time left. Uh, anyone else want to throw another movie franchise out there? So I'm not going to throw a franchise necessarily out there, 
but I'm just going to talk about real quick one of the greatest special effects and makeup artists to ever grace the screen, Tom Savini. I was going to say, you're going to say Tom Savini or Stan Winston. I was, I was, yeah. Yeah. Savini has worked in so many different films, and some people would recognize him from his actual like roles as an actor. Um, I can't remember his character's actual name from, uh, I just remember him. He was the uh, guy from, from Dust Till Dawn that had the uh, yeah, genital revolver gun. in his genitals. Yeah, the genital <laughs> gun. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and he's been in several other movies and TV shows. But he, was, he was like the, one of the lead punks in the original Dawn of the Dead. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and he did all the makeup effects for it too. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. he did the, uh, so Halloween kind of was like his, or no, not Halloween. Um, Friday the 13th was like his big, big kind of like breakthrough like where he really started to get known and yeah. talking about like all these movies, uh, another, like I know you guys like documentaries and stuff as well. If you've never um, watched any of the, the movies that made us series. Oh yeah. Yeah. I watched those, mm-hmm. those are great. Like they've got one like Ghostbusters, Home Alone, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. And it's funny, you like a recurring theme in almost any of those for that have to deal with a horror movie is you're going to see Tom Savini Mm. in it because Mm. he has done something. The the one thing I've noticed as I've gotten older and kind of gotten more involved, um, and I mentioned it about Halloween, like what what did this look like in the time it was released? Um, Some there were some other like significant things like the original godzilla was released you know what, what it is off the top of your head i want to say it was like 50 1950 i was I'm, i was gonna guess 52 it, so yeah. it the point is it's not far after world war ii and the point is it's in japan and there's this radioactive monster that's destroying japan and is essentially a story about the, the nuclear bomb it, like that's that's like kind of the some of the inspiration they use for it, and it was like a controversial film at the time, because like I mean, the the we dropped two bombs on Japan only a couple of years before, and here you are essentially making like this giant monster movie that's uh, developed from nuclear, um, essentially is a nuclear powered you know monster um, that's basically obliterating your the city and you can't control what's going on. So that was another one where it was like, oh, this is like super like kind of controversial for its time. But, you know, when we look at it in hindsight, we don't realize what other world events were going on at that time. Yeah. So that was 54. So um, that would have been nine years after the bombings. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's recent, you know, that would be, yeah. Super. Recent. Yeah. That's, that, that wound's still open. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's still plenty of people who are, uh, remember it um, or have relatives that are, you know, still receiving like the, you know, negative effects from it. So, well, and so many horror films were sort of uh, like commentaries or at least reflections of social mores of the time. Like, yeah, you think about like like slasher films, especially Jason and Friday the 13th. Like this was during the time of like uh, the more majority and like, you know, like kind of a, a red wave in America. And here you have this character who is basically like uh bringing down judgment on all of these uh 
these immoral kids, you know? Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. Which is, which is why anytime there's like, I, I remember when, when Scream came out, a bunch of uh, people who were not horror fans went and saw Scream. And you know, the part in Scream where they explain the rules of horror movies, it's like, well, if you, if you show nudity, you're going to die. If you go someplace alone or say, I'll be right back, you're going to die. I remember kids at school were like, they were like, wow, you know, that look at all these rules. It's like, did you, did you guys not know these? I was like, I thought this was common knowledge because, yeah, you know, me and my friends have watched, you know, dozens upon dozens of horror movies at that point. Um, but yeah, did you see the new Scream? I haven't. I haven't good. either. I'm scared. It was okay. It was good. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, the first one was good, and then I don't know. Um, oh wait, never mind. I did see it. That's how much I remembered it. i've never i haven't been really a huge scream franchise person so i watched it it was it was good i don't know again not nothing nothing right home about anything of craven's like i'm kind of partial to at least give it a chance yeah like one of the things i've always liked about wes craven is he's willing to poke fun at himself Mm. Um, yeah like he, he kind of like sees the humor and like looking back and like even some of the stuff like like the last time I watched the monster squad, like as much as I absolutely adore that movie, it's one of my favorites. Like I took Nicole to the Alamo draft house to watch that because occasionally they do the retro movies and I took her to watch it. She had never seen it. And as I'm watching it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is (laughs) like, you kind of see the campiness of it now that you're older or whatever. And I've always liked that about Craven is he can look back at his prior films and stuff and kind of see the humor and like, man, what the hell was that? <laughs> and kind of make fun of himself. Like in the original Scream, if you remember, uh, Wes Craven was actually a janitor in that movie and he was dressed like Kruger. Yeah. He yeah. had yeah. on the hat and the sweater and he was mopping the floor. Yeah. It was so good. He so, even did like a, a the the one that he did with uh, Christina Ricci, like the werewolf movie, was such wonderful, utter campiness. It was like almost into like a a comedy. I don't know. I don't know which one that is. I think it's Bitten. Might okay. Bitten. I used to have a huge crush on Christina Ricci. Side note. Oh, still every, do. Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> I started. It started when I was a little kid and age appropriate um i'm gonna say because i was around the i think she's a year older than me uh i was gonna but, say so did it start with casper or did it start with the adams family adams family adams family adams family okay <laughs> but oh, again yeah. age appropriate i was appropriate age she was like a year older than me at the time so it was cursed cursed in 2005 okay <laughs> i don't remember that one i don't remember that one again it's post 2000 so my my knowledge drops off precipitously once we get past 2000 yeah uh, we'll do a quick, you know, Friday the 13th is obviously another, obviously classic. Um, you know, I, the, the see the, I think a lot of people don't realize that the Jason doesn't get his hockey mask until, uh, number three. So it's kind of like a late edition and essentially Jason's not even the killer in the first one, which is also, um, a lot of people don't realize that. And, um, the fifth one to me is by far the worst one because yes, the killers, um, again, I'm going to give a spoiler here. The killer's not Jason. It's just some random dude imitating which is good in, like, I can appreciate it in, in, in hindsight, but when I remember watching the fifth one, and then it was like, and this guy is the killer, and I was like, what the? It's like, I just wasted an hour and a half. <laughs> so angry. Yeah, so the, the fourth one with uh, Corey Feldman, 
as yeah. young Tommy Jarvis. That's one of my favorites. I, I think that's yeah. almost that's most outside of number one. That's most people's favorite. Yeah, is you know everybody like you know our age kind of grew up with that. You know the Corys. And just, it's hard not to like anything that Corey Feldman was in. Yeah. So I think, I think that played into it a lot. And like that, especially that ending scene with Feldman with yeah. the like crazy shaved head. Yeah. Like it was just great. And a lot of the, a lot of the scar, a lot of the damage to the Jason mask you see in the other movies happens. Well, from that film, it happens in three and four, but yeah, then, uh, yeah. But some of the, it builds up over time, but you, you can see some of the damage to Jason to his eye and stuff like that. It happens wasn't, in that wasn't the original, like his original mask was actually, wasn't it just like a potato sack? Yeah. It was, yeah, a, burlap yeah. It was a burlap sack. Yeah. Yeah. Not iconic. <laughs> I did see, not. That, I actually, I thought that was, that was creepier. Yeah. It was less human and more sort of like, uh, yeah, like ghostly. There's no eye. There's no face. Yeah. Oh man, good one. Uh, and so I saw, I, so the two, I saw Jason Goes to Hell in theaters, and I saw Hellraiser Bloodlines, which is number four in theaters. And both times, my dad took me, and my dad was the oldest guy in the room, and I was the youngest guy in the room <laughs> by like like huge age gaps. You know, it's like teenage kid. You know, and I can't remember how old he was at the time, but it was uh, your your dad is a hoot, man. I would have loved to have been in that theater like what so what did your dad think of the movies uh, like, he just, is he a horror fan no not really yeah he, he's just a good dad he took me because he uh he knew i, I was a fan so i, I walked I out of that. i walked out of both of them and i was like those are the greatest movies ever and he was like yeah they were they were okay i guess like <laughs> yeah i hate to like, just look at somebody and like cast type but from the times i've met your dad like i just didn't see him being a huge horror fan but hey you never know <laughs> no no <laughs> All right, well, we should start wrapping it up. Um, we're going to do tell us something people would be surprised to know about you if we can make it horror related, uh, maybe a secret uh, secret movie that you you enjoy that's off mainstream or just something random. I got a couple of random horror related uh, facts that I'm going to share. Uh, anyone want to go first, or I can go first and buy some time. You go first. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So I again obsessed with horror movies as a kid. So when we went, and, and this was in my Instagram stories, so uh, Gary, you probably saw this already. So we went and stayed over Camp Nobi Bosco. It's a Boy Scout camp in Blairstown, New Jersey. It is where the original Friday the 13th was filmed. And I stayed in the cabin where the movie's filmed. <gasps> so that was just a really cool experience. And we took all these pictures, like mimicking things from the movie. Um, so we stayed in both cabins. I think that this, this filmed in two different cabins. Uh, we, stayed, we stayed in... Uh, we had people staying in both of them. So we did that, and I, I took some lake water in an in a, in a old film canister that I still have, and it's upstairs sitting on my uh, – uh, I keep it with my Halloween stuff, and I take it out and put it like, – Like an old 35-millimeter like film canister? Like Correct. Like a little plastic one? Yeah, nice. a little plastic, the black and gray one, you know? Yeah. So I, I always try to get like – when there's an opportunity to go someplace where something actually happened or something was filmed, I try to do that. So, you know, so I've been to the Monroeville Mall, which is where the original Dawn of the Dead was filmed in Pittsburgh mm. uh, or Monroeville, Pennsylvania, rather. Uh, so I've been to the original camp from Friday the 13th. They changed locations. That's the only time they used it, that, that camp specifically. Um, so, yeah, those are my two, like, kind of random 
horror movie uh, related things. All right, I'll All right. go. I'll go next. Um, right. So this is this is maybe not not as much a surprise. It's just a confession. I absolutely love hardcore horror films, but probably my favorite genre is horror comedy. And for that reason, I have to leave everyone with what is maybe a surprising recommendation, but it's the movie Zombievers. Have either of you seen Zombievers? No. No. Super, super indie. I saw the, I saw the like preview for it just the other day on, I think, Tubi. And you're but saying Zombievers, like zombie and beaver combined, correct? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. It is, uh, it is pure camp. It's hilarious. It was made for a tiny, tiny budget. And if you want to talk about a movie that these people obviously just had the, the best time like, like making, then that's the one. If, you, if you've got like a, a, a Halloween party this year and you just want to, want to laugh at something with your friends, that is a perfect place to start. Nice. Gary, what do you got? So this, not so much horror related, but another kind of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the same route as Bobby is making a recommendation for people. Um, there are two movies that I can think of very, very campy and just, yeah, like I can only imagine what this film crew is actually like during either of these films. If you haven't seen The Velocipaster. Yes! <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I have not seen that. <laughs> it is the worst great time like you're going to have this year. <laughs> And we watched so, it like three weeks ago. It was so good. <laughs> so, and the other one, it very, you know, same on the, like, kind of just a cheese meter, whatever you want to call it, like campiness, but good. And it's actually a, so Velocipaster didn't really have anybody that I can remember in it. But this next one did have Rutger Hauer, who's been in several great films. Um, but, uh, Hobo with a shotgun. Oh boy, what a movie! <laughs> Some great um, gore. Oh yes, very very graphic. Um, but just things to add to your uh, to your watch list. So, uh, Bobby, have you you seen Dead Alive by Peter Jackson? Yes, the absolute greatest uh, zombie. Uh, mass killing ever filmed. Agreed. It, so it's, it's labeled as the goriest, the, the VHS, this, so back we're going, labels it as the goriest horror film of all time. And uh, I, we watched it, I'm like, I've seen plenty of horror movies, it's not going to be the goriest. And we watched it, and I was like, all right, that's, if that's not it, it's pretty damn close. Um, the lawnmower. You yes. will never look at a lawnmower the same way again. Yes. <laughs> so I love when when Lord of the Rings hit big, be like, oh yeah, Peter Jackson, great movies, you know, Lord of the Rings, Dead Alive, and people are like, wait, what? And I was like, you haven't seen Dead Alive? It's one of Peter Jackson's classics. So I always one weird that. Muppet one. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. There's there's some there's some scarring moments in that one too, uh, with the giant woman at the end. Yeah, <laughs> I think my favorite part of that movie was the uh, priest. Oh, I yeah. Yeah. Oh, Lord. yeah, that's a great one. That is a great one. <laughs> Highly recommend Dead Alive. Uh, yeah. That we'd always show that. And then um let's see what else. Yeah. I think that's it. Any final uh we got a couple minutes before we get kicked off of Zoom here. Any final shout outs you want to give? Uh we'll start off with Gary. 
could be horror related or just uh, OCR fitness related? Uh, good luck to everybody. Um, coming up to uh, World Stuff Us Mutter, you included, Evan. Uh, are you doing individual or are you doing a team this year? I do. I do individual uh, when they tell me I can't run as a team for 24 hours. So, okay. I don't like relay format for World Stuff Us. It's only one event. Okay. Well, good luck to everybody that's going out there and doing that. Um, I think especially not well, uh, the Spartan Ultra World Championships, I I heard rumors or something that's being kind of held in conjunction with Worlds. So they canceled right? they canceled Spartan World Championships because of the wildfires in California so that people people had the opportunity to transfer to Worlds. I think some people did. Some people just pushed their registration to next year. Um, I think Tough Mudder and specifically World's Toughest is almost a different sport. Um, even it's different from most ultras because you're wet and you're you have to wear a wetsuit a lot of the time. So it's a um, I think some Spartan people that will come over. You know, there'll be some guys that obviously will do well. Like I mean, Mark Batras was, was his first World Toughest last year, but there'll be some people that come over that will um, you know may not be used to being wet and muddy uh, for a full twenty four hours and peeing in their wetsuit and etc. So yeah, <laughs> you got to pee in the wetsuit. Yeah. Speaking of which, I have patches from Daniel. I'm not going to pronounce his last name, up from 37's Custom Apparel now up on my website. One of them is I love peeing in my wetsuit. So you're going to head over and check out that the teamstrengthspeed.com store. Bobby, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I just, just uh, like I was saying earlier, finished wrapping principal photography on our most recent short movie that was a ton of fun. It's called Enlighten, and it should be out by January, I do believe. Although, don't quote me on that, but I'm really excited. It was a ton of fun to make. and. It is a hopefully a, a new take, something that something that feels a little bit fresh. Nice, yeah. I'll send over some of your other horror movies that are publicly available, uh, like Hell Couch or something. We'll the links for that, and we'll drop them in the show notes here. If anyone wants to watch some of other Bobby's uh, short works, there. Oh, okay. Uh, other than that, um, I'll see a bunch of you at Worlds Tough as Mutter. I don't know if I'm going to record another episode before then, so. Um, Make sure you say hi. I think we're going to have some mud gear. Uh, I know John Coley from Mud Gear is going to be out there. So I think we're a bunch of mud gear athletes going to try to clump up and hang out together uh, in the pit and then uh, do my best there. And uh, training's going well. I knocked out some pretty high mileage this past week. And then I've got a bachelor party I'm going to next week that I we're doing Resident Evil themed. I sent Bobby uh, one of the one of the previews of some of the stuff. So, so good. Uh, yeah. It's pretty good. So I've been texting my friend Sty, um, like, hey, there's weird stuff going up by the bachelor party location. And like essentially my friend Anthony had modified newspaper clippings. So it says instead of Raccoon City, it says like Lake George. So uh those kind of the preview to this this coming weekend. And then we'll have like a yeah, use some old Halloween decorations and have some fun stuff going on. So all right. Uh, make sure you pick up those blag mitts from teamstrengthspeed.com. We will uh, typically start running out of sizes as we get closer to the world's toughest. So if you need them, please order them ahead of time. And then, like I said, the patches are up there. And then, obviously, Ultra OCR Bible is the best resource you can have to get you ready for the world's toughest mutter. Guys, thanks for coming on. Hope people enjoy this. Uh, if people enjoyed it, give us some feedback. If you didn't enjoy it, uh, give us some feedback anyway. Uh, maybe we'll do this every Halloween or uh, maybe not. We'll see. All right. Thanks again, guys. Thank you.